And now that you've all sat down, please stand for the reading of God's word. (laughs) This is from Psalm 62. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. The only plan, they only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On on God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balance they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that you, O Lord, belongs to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, every now and then, something happens that shakes us to our very core. For me, it happened this past Tuesday. So what started off as a normal day ended up with me in the emergency room. And they hooked me up to machines. They took my blood. They put me on a drip and did test after test. And as I lay in the hospital bed, I'm not going to lie, I was greatly shaken would I see my family again? What are my test results going to say? What's going to happen to me? Waiting for answers was like torture. And even though I'm with you this morning, I'm still waiting to find out what exactly was wrong with me. But what kindness of God that this happened to me this week. Because time and time again this week, I've turned to Psalm 62. And just look again at how Psalm 62 opens. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. You know, I can't tell you how desperately I needed to hear those words this week and how desperately I still need to hear them this morning. And maybe you need to hear those words too. So maybe you arrive at church this morning greatly shaken. Maybe you're in the midst of a really terrible season. Maybe you've recently received some bad news that that really has made the world crumble beneath you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're anxious about the uncertainty of the future. I know many of you are grieving this morning after the tragic loss of a dear brother. And 
maybe you find yourself greatly shaken by what has happened. Well, friends, Psalm 62 is a song written just for you. This is God's word to you this morning in the midst of your anxiety and your pain and your hardship. So let's see what God has to say to us in his word. And I'd like us to consider three things that Psalm 62 teaches us. And the first thing is this. We can be shaken. We can be shaken. You know, one of the great things about the Bible is that it's, it's really realistic about what life is like in a fallen world. You see, God knows that there are things that have the power to shake us to our very core. And David, who was the writer of this psalm, he, he knew what it was like to be greatly shaken. So just look again at verses 3 and 4. David says, How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. David was a man who had many problems. So in verse 3, we see that he was being attacked by many enemies. In verse 4, we see that they are wickedly trying to take him down by any means possible. And so David cries out, how long? How long? You see, he wasn't just having a bad day. This is days and weeks, maybe even months and years of hardship, and there doesn't seem to be any end in sight. And as a result, in verse 3, he describes himself as being like a leaning wall or a tottering fence. When I was growing up in England, we had this backyard that was surrounded by a wooden fence. And, and because the houses are often so close together in England, we shared our wooden fence with our neighbours. However, I didn't see it as a wooden fence. I saw it as a soccer goal. And so every day after school, I would go into my backyard and I would batter this wooden fence with shot after shot after shot. And as time went on, this fence began looking a little bit shaky, to say the least. So some panels of wood were cracked, some had fallen off completely, some had snapped. And eventually the fence was leaning at an angle and even swayed in the wind. Looking back, the neighbors must have been quite frustrated. But anyway, we ended up with this tottering fence, battered by wave after wave of attack ready to collapse at any moment. And that's what David felt like. And I wonder if that's how you feel this morning. Like a tottering fence, battered by wave after wave after wave of hardship. The loss of a loved one. Financial pressure. Demands at work. Conflict in marriage. Illness in the family. Ongoing loneliness, another wave of depression. Children acting up, tension in relationships. And those things, they, they stack up, don't they? They leave us feeling unshaken, unstable. They leave us feeling shaken, rather. Unstable. I wonder if you've ever tried building a tower using Duplo blocks. 
Of course, you have. I, I think everyone's built a tower, built a tower using Jupyter blocks. And I, actually, I've I've brought some with me in my daughter's Minnie Mouse backpack. Now we we have a 20-month-old daughter, and so I've spent a considerable amount of time this year playing with these things. And I think it's fair to say I'm now a qualified Duplo architect. Now, now the easiest thing to build of one of these is is a tower, kind of like this. And they're great because you can build them as as big as you want, and they're they're so easy to do. In a good starting starting point, you just basically just stack them like this one on top of the other. Now, the thing is, have you ever tried building one of these in front of a small child? Yeah, yeah I know you have. Um, because it's, it's actually impossible. Uh, it's the main reason I've got it out now, because there are no toddlers around actually get to do this. Uh, no, because if you, if you build one of these around a toddler, they will drop everything that they do. And it doesn't matter how exciting it is. If they see you building a Duplo tower, Everything in them, just something that God has put in them, a thing that just wants to come over and destroy the thing. You know, they, they want to come over even before you've finished and just give it a little prod. And, and the thing about it is with Duplo Towers, they're not very stable. And the more you stack, it, it doesn't really take much, does it? It just takes the slightest touch and it goes. And, and I wonder if that is actually how some of you are feeling this morning. Because life feels like that, doesn't it? Things stack up, one on top of the other, and we feel like a tottering fence. We feel like one slight touch, one more thing, doesn't matter what it is, will be enough to send us crashing down. So how does Psalm 62 speak to you if you feel like a tottering fence? Where can your soul go for stability, for rest, for refuge? Well, that brings us to our second point this morning. God cannot be shaken. God cannot be shaken. Now, David begins Psalm 62 by telling us that his soul waits in silence for God. But, but what does that mean? What does it mean to wait in silence? Well, I think Psalm 37 gives us a clue. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to, you can. Psalm 37 verse 7 says this, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. In Psalm 37, we see that the opposite of waiting silently is to fret. It's to fill your soul with angst and crippling worry. So how might that look? Well, do you tend to grumble or wallow in self-pity when life takes a bad turn? Do you get angry with people, with your circumstances, with God, when hardship strikes? Are you often overcome with discontentment when things don't get better? Maybe even becoming jealous or 
bitter of others? Or does the unrest of your soul leave, lead to crippling anxiety, the type of anxiety where God is not even in the picture anymore? You've given up on God. But to wait in silence is different. It involves our souls having a posture of patience. It means resting in God, knowing that behind the chaos, he is in control. If we're honest, I think all of us struggle to wait on the Lord without fretting, don't we? Chaos rather than silence is our soul's natural response to hardship. Yet in the midst of his troubles, David's soul is waiting silently for God. But what is it about God that drives David to exhibit this amount of trust? Well, look what David tells us about God in verses 1 and 2. In verse 1, David recognizes that God is the one who provides the salvation that he needs. In fact, God not only provides salvation, but verse 2, God is David's salvation. God is the very thing David needs in his hardship. And did you notice the terms that David uses to describe God in our passage? He is his rock, his fortress. These are pictures of stability. Now, the term fortress, it has the sense of of a refuge located high up where enemies can't reach. And David is saying that God is, is an immovable, unshakable, safe refuge. And that's exactly what you and I need when we feel like a tottering fence. We need a refuge like God. But notice also the personableness in these verses. He is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. Now here's why this is important. When you find yourself shaken, It won't make much difference to you if God is just some distant theological concept or idea. You and I need to know that this unshakable God is our unshakable God. You need to be able to say in those moments when you are shaken, he is my rock. He is my salvation. He is my fortress. And it's because David believes this about God that he's able to say in verse 2, I shall not be greatly shaken. It's the truth about God, not his circumstances, that David seeks rest in. But is this the end of the story? Well, no, it's not. Because it's after that statement in verse 2 that David suddenly feels like a tottering fence in verse 3. Did you notice that? What's happened? I'll tell you what. Real life has happened. You know, we've all been there, haven't we? We leave church feeling tanked up on the glorious truths of the gospel. We come back from that Christian retreat feeling spiritually on fire. We get up from our morning quiet time feeling at peace and comforted. If God is for me, who can be against me? And then life happens. The kids wake up. You see that person again. There's an unexpected bill. Miscommunication leads to more conflict. Our health takes a turn for the worse. 
life just doesn't change. And we start losing sight of who God is. God doesn't move, but we do. And we find ourselves starting to wobble. So what do you do then? Do you just throw up your hands and say, well, so much for God being my rock. I mean, that didn't work, did it? Well, look at what David does in verses 5 to 7. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. Just notice what David is doing here. He is preaching the truth to himself. He is reminding himself of what he already knows to be true. He's commanding himself to wait in silence rather than fret and freak out. Actually, what David is doing here is he's singing Psalm 62 to himself. You see, the Psalms were given to us not simply to preach, but to sing. And here's why. When faced with adversity, you and I will inevitably sing a song to ourselves. The question is, which song will we sing? I wonder if anyone here has ever heard a song by David Getter called Titanium. I actually love this song, even though I'm about to critique it. So let me give you some lyrics from this song. You shout it out, but I can't hear a word you say. I'm talking loud, not saying much. I'm criticized, but all your bullets ricochet. You shoot me down, but I get up. I'm bulletproof, nothing to lose. Fire away, fire away. Ricochet, you take your aim. Fire away, fire away. You shoot me down, but I won't fall. I am titanium. You shoot me down, but I won't fall. I am titanium. What song does David get to sing when he feels like a tottering fence? I am titanium. I am bulletproof. I am a rock. I am a fortress. I am my own salvation. I will not be shaken. But friends, that's the song of the world. That's the song of someone who has no God to run to when life is hard. And it doesn't work. Listen to the song another David sings. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Notice here how David focuses on God, not his troubles. His soul, he fills his soul with who God is, not with all the things that are trying to shake him. You know, when you find yourself shaken, what do you fill your mind with? Do you allow your soul to be flooded by your troubles? Do you allow yourself to just play out the worst case scenario in your head? I struggle with this. I wonder how much time you devote to filling your thoughts with great truths about who God is and who you are in his sight. Also, notice the progression in these verses. So in verse 2, David said, I will not be 
greatly shaken. Now in verse 6, he says, I will not be shaken. I won't be moved at all. In other words, it's by singing Psalm 62 62 to ourselves that we grow increasingly immovable. It's by putting Psalm 62 on repeat and singing it to ourselves over and over, day after day, week after week, that we become unshakable. So when your marriage keeps falling apart, when your child keeps wandering from the faith, when your loneliness keeps driving you to despair, when you're awaiting those test results from the doctor, when your grief is so overwhelming and you're tempted to find stability somewhere else, brothers and sisters, preach to yourselves, sing to yourselves, wait, soul, wait on God. My hope is from him. He is my mighty rock. He is my fortress. He is my salvation. He is my rest. Don't give up, soul. Don't fret. Don't grumble. Don't sing a different song. For God alone, oh, my soul, wait in silence. When was the last time you sang a song like that when you found yourself shaken? Now, before we move on, it's worth stating that Psalm 62 is by no means a quick fix. So it's not some magical song that you sing a few times to yourself and your wish for some stability comes true. Psalm 62 is given to us in the context of waiting on the Lord. Therefore, becoming unshakable takes time. Maybe a lifetime. Now, we hate waiting, don't we? Let's be honest. Maybe more than any other people in history, we hate waiting. I remember when we lived in England, I had Amazon Prime. And because England is so small, Amazon Prime in the UK gives you next day delivery. However, when we moved to Virginia, I noticed that Amazon Prime over here only gives you two-day delivery. I couldn't believe it. Now I had to wait a whole extra day for that book that I'm not even going to read for two years. <laughs> you know, we hate, we hate waiting. Whether that's waiting for an Amazon order or our grades or our wedding day or the doctor's results, we hate waiting. So why does God want us to wait for him? Why does he call us to do the very thing that we don't want to do? What's actually accomplished? Here's why God calls us to wait. In waiting silently for God, we are forced into communion with God. In calling us to wait, God is actually inviting us to seek him to wrestle with who he is, to meditate on his character, on his promises to us, to stretch the muscles of our faith. You know, I'm sure many of you can testify that you learn more about God in seasons of waiting than you ever did when life was easy. Because it's only when we have to cling to God day after day after day that we truly learn that he really is our rock, that he really is our refuge. But when we fail to wait on the Lord, 
what we show is that we're really not interested in God at all. We just want, us, want him to get us out of trouble. We just want him to fix things so we can go back to life without him. But God wants us to know him personally and to trust him at all times. That's why in verse 8, David invites us to join him in singing Psalm 62. To trust God when? At all times. Especially during those seasons of waiting. And here's how you know if you're trusting God. Verse 8, you are pouring out your heart before him. You see, waiting in silence is not literally being silent. It's crying out to God. That's when you know God is your refuge. When you feel like a tottering fence and you run to God and pour out your heart before him. So if you've stopped praying, then you've stopped singing Psalm 62. You've probably started singing Titanium. You think you can do it without God. Or maybe you've started singing a bleaker song without any hope. Friends, pour out your heart to God during those seasons of waiting and don't stop. So we've seen that we can be shaken. We've seen that God cannot be shaken. But Psalm 62 has something else to teach us and it's this. God alone cannot be shaken. God alone cannot be shaken. I've just added the word alone there. God alone cannot be shaken. Now, I hope you've noticed this as we've been reading. I've purposely not given it any attention until now, but notice how many times the word alone or only pops up. It's actually the same word in the Hebrew. So verse 1, for God alone my soul waits. Verse 2, he alone is my rock. Verse 5, for God alone, O my soul. Verse 6, he only is my rock. Why does David keep repeating this word? Here's why. David doesn't assume that he will live as though God is his only rock. You see, he was aware of his tendency to go to other things to find stability in shaky times. It's not that, doubt, it's not that David doubted that God was a rock or a fortress. It's that he was prone to believe that there are other rocks or other fortresses or other things to cling to when he was shaken. In that sense, David was just like us. You know, maybe you have no problem with the first two points of this sermon. You know that you can be shaken by hardship. You know that all too well. And you know that God is a refuge during hard times. However, practically speaking, you find yourself seeking rest in other refuges when life is hard. But God wants to show, David wants to show us that God is our only refuge. He's the only rock that cannot be shaken. There is no other. And so David provides us with two examples of where we might be prone to look to for stability. So the first place we might look is people. People. Look at verse 9. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. 
In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Now in verse 9, when David identifies those of low estate and those of high estate, he's basically saying all people, both those at the top and those at the bottom and everybody in between. And what does he say about all people in verse 9? They are a breath. They might look like they can provide stability, but they're a delusion. In verse 9, David says, if we were to weigh all people on some scales, they'd be lighter than a breath. How much does your breath weigh? Probably heavier in the morning, but still pretty light. Now, contrast this description of people with David's, David's description of God. God isn't light, is he? He's not a breath. What's God? He's a rock. A mighty rock. The only mighty rock. You know, it's so easy for us to run to people rather than God, isn't it? To think that a spouse or a loved one can be our rock. To think that our pastors can give us hope. To think that a doctor can provide salvation. To believe that our parents can be a sufficient refuge. Or maybe it's the person you've been longing for, a spouse, a friend, children, which you don't have yet, but you desperately want. And you believe that they could be your rock, they could be your refuge, they could be your salvation if you only had them. Be careful, David says. Don't put your hope in people instead of God. They are lighter than a breath. Or maybe your problem is not that you look to other people, but maybe it's that you want others to look to you when they are shaken. You know, sometimes the people we love are like a tottering fence, and we want to be their rock, their fortress, their refuge. We want to save them. I wonder if that's you this morning. Maybe you have a friend who's suffering a depressed spouse, a sick family member, an anxious child, a straying church member, and you think, well, the Lord doesn't seem to be doing anything. Maybe I can be their refuge. Be careful, David says. You are lighter than a breath. Listen to me on this church. The people in your life do not need you to be their rock. They need you to point them to the only rock. The people you love don't need you to be their refuge. They need you to point them to a more trustworthy refuge. The people you know who are shaken don't need you to be their salvation. They need you to point them to the only saviour, and that is God and him alone. So that's people. The second place we might look is money. David knew that many of life's problems can be solved with a few more Benjamin Franklins. In fact, the book of Ecclesiastes tells us that we live in a world where money answers everything. So I wonder how many of us, if we're honest, are waiting more on money than the Lord this morning. You know, maybe you've lost your job, or you've received the latest batch of medical bills, or the car's playing up again, or you're swimming in college debt, or... The arrival of a new baby means you need to find $10,000 a month for diapers. You know, I mean, Northern Virginia is expensive, isn't it? 
And for many of us, our biggest anxiety is related to money. We either don't have what we need and so we're shaken or we're worried that one day in the future we won't have what we need and so we're just shaken by the uncertainty. But David warns us in verse 10, put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Don't trust in money, he says. Because people do, don't they? We do, if we're honest. Sometimes we're even willing to gain it illegally, as David points out. That's how much we want it. But even if we acquire it honestly, David warns us, if riches increase, don't set your heart on them. Why? Well, because money can disappear when we need it the most. Money isn't a sufficient refuge in all of life's storms. We need a mightier rock, a sturdier fortress. And so David reminds us why God is our only refuge in verses 11 and 12. He says in verse 11, Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love for you will render to a man according to his work. David says, to God belongs both power and steadfast love. Now, why is that important? Why does being both powerful and loving make all the difference to David in his hardship? Well, if God had power but lacked love, to, sorry, if God, yes, if God had power but lacked love, then David couldn't actually trust that God would be there for him. And also, if God had love but lacked the power to actually save David, then what good is that? David may as well seek refuge in people or money, something tangible. But David knows that God is both able and willing to be his refuge. He has the power to be his rock and fortress and he has the love to be his rest and salvation. That's why the last sentence in the psalm gives David comfort. God will render to a man according to his work. God is a God of justice. He will judge David's enemies from verses three and four. Those who are trying to topple David will actually be the ones who end up being shaken. So David can look at his enemies and know that they are a fleeting breath a sigh too brief to measure, and one day they will stand before David's God and then they will be the tottering fence. For David, verses 11 and 12 made all the difference because unless God has both the power and the love, then singing Psalm 62 is about as useful as singing Titanium. But maybe that's your question this morning. How do I actually know that God has both the power and the love to help me when I find myself shaken. How do I know? Because we'll only sing Psalm 62 if we're certain that God is both able and willing to help us. We'll only actually wait in silence for God if we are certain that he is both powerful and loving. So how do we know? Well, we know because David wasn't the only singer of Psalm 62. In fact, David, although David wrote this song, it was actually written to be sung 
by someone greater. You see, someone came after David who, all, who was also attacked by many enemies. Like David, his enemies sought to thrust him down from his high position. Every deceit was used, every slander was spread, every device was framed. Yet unlike David, this person was not shaken by his enemies. Instead, his soul perfectly waited in silence for God. Even as they nailed him to a wooden cross, God alone was his rock, his fortress, his rest, his refuge, his salvation. And God proved his faithfulness by raising him from the dead and seating him in glory. You see, the true singer of Psalm 62 is the true singer of all the Psalms, and that's Jesus Christ. Even so, Jesus was still shaken. He was so shaken that he sweat great drops of blood. Yet he wasn't shaken by the wickedness of man or the reality of death. Rather, Jesus was shaken by the wrath of God. And here's why. Psalm 62 verse 12 tells us that God will render to a man according to his work. In other words, there's a day coming when God will judge each person based on the life they've lived. Now, that might not trouble you too much this morning. Maybe you've judged yourself to have lived a pretty decent life so far. You try to be a good citizen, a hard worker, a faithful friend, a kind person. It's not that you're perfect, but nobody is. But compared to some people, compared to your boss, or that kid on your sports team, or those people on the news, or even David's enemies in Psalm 62, compared to people like that, you're actually doing okay. And stood next to the criminals, bullies, and perverts of the world, you fancy your chances. Unfortunately, the Bible says that's not good enough. God isn't interested in whether you've been a better person than your neighbor. You see, God made you and I to trust him at all times, but we've trusted in other things, haven't we? We've trusted in people, in money, in jobs, in pleasure, in comfort, in ourselves. We've ran to created things to find hope, rest, and refuge, and salvation for our souls. And the Bible calls this sin. And God will render to everyone according to their sin. And that should shake you this morning. The reality of God's judgment should cause you to totter. Our lives are a fleeting breath, a sigh too brief to measure. And before we know it, death will usher us into the kingdom, into the judgment room of God. And so verse 12, rather than be an encouragement, turns out to be a cause for despair. Until Jesus... You see, Jesus experienced God's wrath in our place. God rendered to him the punishment that we deserved. Jesus was shaken so that you and I never have to be. You know, people or money can't save us from death. People or money can't save us from God's judgment. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus died in our place for our sin. And only Jesus has defeated death by rising from the grave. Therefore, Jesus and Jesus, is alo- Jesus alone is our only refuge. So if you're here this morning and you've made Jesus your refuge, then you should be encouraged. You are clinging to the solid rock. Your soul is secure in a mighty fortress 
Don't let this good news become old news. You know, it's so easy to focus on the things that are currently shaking us. Stress at work, health issues, relational conflict, financial trouble. But forget that God has rescued us from the very thing that should have shaken us the most. God has saved us from our sin. Don't make being delivered from your current trial become the good news that you're hoping for. I'll say that again. Don't make being delivered from your current trial become the good news that you're hoping for. Jesus is the good news. And if you have him, then stand firm. This also means that God has proven his power and love to you by sending Jesus. So in the midst of your hardship, your soul can rest in God. Think about it. The current hardships you're experiencing could be ended by God in an instant. He has the power, but he's allowed them to continue. Why? Well, it's not because he doesn't love you. I mean, he gave up his son for you. Rather, God must have a loving purpose behind your hardship, even if you can't see it. So wait for him. Don't grumble, don't fret, don't lose hope, don't try and seek refuge in something else, but keep pouring out your heart to God. Keep singing Psalm 62 to yourself, even if it means you're singing it for the rest of your life. And God will prove his faithfulness. He always does. Lastly, if you're not a Christian this morning, Psalm 62 says that we are a breath. Here today and gone tomorrow. So let me ask you, where is your hope for when death comes? Where will you run for refuge then? What rock will you cling to? Because a time is coming when you are going to be greatly shaken. Our lives are a fleeting breath. We may distract ourselves with busyness and entertainment. We may ignore it with positive thinking, but death and judgment are coming. Who will you seek refuge in? Friends, seek refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a fleeting breath, but he is the eternal word. He's the only rock that you can cling to in the face of death. The only hope you can bank on, the only fortress you can hide in. So stop trusting in other things. Trust in Jesus. He has both the power and the love to save you. So trust in him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you sent the Lord Jesus to die in our place for our sin, to defeat death by rising from the grave, and that he is our salvation. He is our rock, he is our fortress, he is our refuge. And we thank you that we can run to him in hard times. We thank you that we can run to him when we're greatly shaken. Oh Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here who feel like tottering fences, who feel like they might collapse at any moment. Lord, would you be their rock this morning? Would you give them the grace they need to wait in silence for you? Would they pour out their heart to you, trust in you, even in this hard time? And would you prove your faithfulness to them? We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're about to 
take the Lord's Supper together as a church. And really, this is a really appropriate way to follow God's word being preached because the Lord's Supper is a really tangible way for us to run to Jesus as our refuge. When we take the Lord's Supper in faith, we are living out Psalm 62. The bread represents the body of the Lord Jesus, which was broken in our place for our sin. The cup represents the blood of Christ, which was shed so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have the salvation that we long for. And so when we come to the table in faith, when we partake of the Lord's Supper in faith, we're really saying, on Christ alone, O my soul, wait in silence. When we come to the bread and the cup and we take it in faith, we're crying out to God to be our rock, to be our refuge, to be our rest. And so if you're a Christian this morning and you feel like a tottering fence, then come to Christ now and take the bread and drink the cup and wait patiently. Let these be tangible reminders of the Lord's grace to you, of what Jesus has done for you as evidence that God is trustworthy, that he really is the only rock that you can cling to this morning. And if you're not a Christian this morning, then let me just say, I'm, we're just really glad that you could be here with us this morning and, and join us as we worship our God and Savior and hear God's word preached um, but if you're not a Christian, I'd like to encourage you not to partake of this part of our service in terms of taking the bread and drinking the cup, because to do so would really be a celebration of something that's not actually true of you yet. Rather, maybe use this time as a time to think about what you've heard, to think about what the Lord Jesus has done for you so that you can be reconciled to God, so that you can be, have your sins forgiven so that you can know God as your personal rock and saviour. And I would just want to implore you to come to Christ so that you can celebrate with us one day in the future. Um, the, the bread and the, and the juice are at the front and at the back, and uh, in a moment we're going to partake, but I'd like to just read a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. The Apostle Paul tells us, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen.